0: open and study God's Word together with me and we continue on this theme of God being light I hope uh, having the songs uh, in your bulletin help you can take those home and review them some of them may be a little less familiar than others so you can look at those words and reflect upon them throughout the week and uh, also if you if you go online I know maybe some of you do and don't on uh, Spotify which is a free site you can I'll put the songs on Wednesday or Thursday so you can listen to them uh, and be in be prepared to come uh, to worship and sing these songs together. Luke 11, let's read the section that we're coming to today and then I'll introduce it and we'll, we'll get a running start into it, okay? Luke chapter 11, um, and we, we left off with verse uh, 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather, or really we could say, and yes, indeed also, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Have you ever misplaced your glasses? Have you ever done this? I don't know where my glasses are. Can't find it. You look all over the house. You ever done that? Am I the only one that's ever done that? And then, you, and then you, here they are, right? Oh. Have you ever been looking for something, maybe you've been working in the garage, you've been in the kitchen and you're, you, you can't find something and, and someone says to you, uh, if it was a snake it would bite your right leg. You ever, heard, you ever use that phrase? It's, it's so close to you, you're just not observing it. We have phrases like, the answer was staring me right in the face, or it's as plain as the nose on your face, or it stuck out like a sore thumb, or this is so obvious, how could you miss it? All of those ideas, just kind of kicking off our lesson today, point to something, to missing something that should be clearly seen, right? Missing something that should be clearly known. We come back to this chapter, Luke chapter 11, which I said last week is a description of all of the hostility of the crowds towards Jesus. It began back in verse number 14 when Jesus casts this demon out of this person. And when the demon is cast out, there are three different responses. There is a response of accusation where uh, the the people are accusing Jesus of using Satan's power to cast out demons. There is the uh, response of marveling or amazement, the woman in verse 27, which honors Mary who bore and nursed Jesus. And Jesus agrees that that woman is blessed, as I pointed out as I read it. Yes, he's really saying in verse 29, yes, that is a blessing, but indeed rather are those who hear the word of God and do it and keep it. Those are blessed. So, You have these accusations of demon power. You have this marveling at the miracle. And then you have these people who are requesting more evidence. We are seeking more of a sign. See it back in verse number 14. He was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Response number one. Some, response number two, said he cast out demons by Beelzebub. Verse uh, 16, response number three, others to test him kept asking for a sign from heaven. Last week we Jesus acknowledged the demon accusations and explained those away by saying, how could it be demonic power? Would Satan enlist me to work against him in an all-out civil war? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but all of a sudden he's decided to do a miracle to help somebody. doesn't make any sense. Besides that, what about your sons who are casting out demons? Are they also in the power of Satan? But this must be verse number 20 is it Uh, my glasses are up but verse number 20 it is by the finger of God this is happening and you should be recognizing that the kingdom of God is here because of this great work it's not demons He pointed out to the woman who praised him and marveled, and and really this is probably a response to everybody who is marveling, Uh, you know, don't just be amazed and don't just look at this from a human perception, but the real people who are blessed are not people who are just amazed, but those who actually carry out the word of God and they keep it and they observe it. Now he's going to address that third group of people who are seeking for a sign. But an ultimate reminder in this chapter on hostility, it's going to go all the way to chapter 12, where then Jesus is going to warn them further about the Pharisees. But the whole point of this is that during or in the face of hostility towards Christ, the urgent need is not to point out what everybody else is doing, but the urgent need is for us to respond rightly to him. That was the desire of Christ, to find those who would respond rightly to him. Remember phrases like, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. He wanted to discover people. That the hostility didn't matter. The urgency is to respond rightly to Christ. And the way to respond rightly to Christ, I told you this last week, the key verses of this chapter are verses 27 and 28, blessed are those who keep and do the word of God. Verse 29 to 36, which is our section today, seems to be like it's two separate sections. Okay, you got 29 to 32, which is talking about Jonah and the Queen of Sheba. (laughs) And then you got verses 33 to 36, which is kind of a parable about light. What is the connection here? Can I point out at least one, and then I'm going to walk us through something. If you... The problem with our English Bibles is sometimes the connection doesn't come out very well, but let me point it out to you. In verse number 29, Jesus calls the generation an evil generation. What he really means by this, and I'll come back to this later, is a stubborn, rebellious, hard-hearted, unresponsive generation. Okay? So then he explains to them that even this evil generation, there were other generations where people responded. More on that in just a second. And then he switches in verse 33 and starts talking about a light being not hid and so forth. But then if you look at verse number uh, 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is, next word everybody say it, when it is bad, when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. The word bad is the same word as verse 29, evil generation. That's the, that's the connecting language here for these two stories. He calls the generation evil, he calls their eyes evil, okay? Put that in your mind and we'll, we'll hold it for a second, but there's the connection. Sometimes in the message when I prepare, I like to lead you to the point i like to walk through the passage and lead you to the point and at the end give you a punch in the mouth sometimes i like to do that not literally but i like to bring that home and sometimes i like to give you the punch in the mouth right at the start of the message and i want to give you the punch in the mouth right now jesus is addressing sin or sign seekers and verse 33 is the hinge verse verse 33 is what unlocks everything okay No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. What is the purpose of light? When the power goes out and the candles are lit, are they put in the basement? The word cellar in the passage actually could be translated in a place where it will be hidden. We don't light lamps. We don't light candles and then hide them. The purpose of light is to illuminate and to expose, and by covering the light or hiding the light, the purpose of the light goes unfulfilled. Walking so far? In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, the Messiah is promised that he will be a light to the Gentiles. To a people walking in darkness, they will see, a, what kind of light? Great light. In John chapter one, when John introduces his gospel, he says, and this is paraphrasing, "In him was life, and the life was the light of men." And then John came as a forerunner, but he was not that light, but the true light was coming into the world, referring to Jesus. First John. Tony read to us this morning, God is light. In John chapter 8, one of the seven I am statements, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The theme of light throughout the scripture as it applies to Jesus is clear. And light has several symbolic meanings in the Bible. In this particular case, it symbolizes illumination. Here, what Jesus is referring to is truth that Christ will expose about God. Okay? Truth that Christ will expose about God. When it says in Isaiah 49, verse 6, that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles, he would come and expose, illuminate truth about God. And he's, he's called a light. When it's real dark in here, now it's like 6 or 6.30 or 7 because the, the year is, is wearing on. If I come out of this room and it's already dark and I shut off that light, I can barely make it over to here. It's so dark in here. Now there's a little light shining in, and but sometimes it's, I got to go over there and turn that on so I make sure I don't trip on or you know what I mean and 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 the purpose of that light is to okay now everything is exposed okay that chair is moved there's no broom in the way and we all understand that. So Christ is saying and the scripture is over and over telling us that Christ is the light that comes to expose the truth about God. Was that light hidden? Was that light cleverly disguised? Was was it concealed to the point that no one could discern it or understand it? The people walking in darkness have seen a what kind of light? Great light. Jesus says no one lights a lamp and then puts it in the basement. So these people who are asking for signs, I'm about to give you the punch in the mouth, so wait for it, they're asking for signs for evidence for more signs more evidence more proof more truth more what more light they want more light and jesus says no one lights a candle and hides it in the basement he's basically saying the light is here it's in front of you it's been open wide open it's 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 been exposed John 1:12 that continuing passage about John and him being the true light it says it says he came unto his own and his own received him not why did they not receive him cuz there wasn't enough light was there not enough evidence he just cast a demon out of a guy and the demon was mute and the guy was mute and the guy starts speaking they're like could you just give us one more right could you just give us one more here is the theme. Here's the punch. This is the whole point, and then we'll walk through it, and I'll show it to you. The problem is not a lack of light. The problem is a lack of sight. That's about the closest to a poem that I'm going to get. The problem is not a lack of light, or a lack of evidence, or a lack of truth, or a lack of knowledge. The problem is the perception of that light. The problem is... Jesus, Jesus has been accused now of a couple of things, right? We're not going to believe because there's not enough light, or we're not going to believe because we think you're a demon. And so, basically, Jesus is saying the problem is not with me. The problem is finish it with you. The problem is not a lack of light. The problem is a lack of sight. So often. The blame shifting begins, God, if you would just take away my cancer. God, if you would just give me a job. God, if you would just show me a sign. Show me that you're real. And God is basically saying, the light is all over the place. We love to blame. One of my children, who I will not say, was drinking chocolate milk at the table one time and spilled it all over himself. Oh, sorry about that. Spilled it all over. And and as soon as they did this, Max! Max! Max was on the other side. Max had nothing to do. He was bl- what, what? Are you talking? You know, we love to do that. We love to blame. You know, I had a problem, but I love to blame somebody else for it. And the people are not receiving the truth. Sorry about that, Judah. The people are not receiving the truth, and they're blaming Christ for it. And he says in verse thirty-three, this is why this is the clinching verse. No one puts light, in it. I didn't come and then hide out in a cave. I've been doing all these things right in front of you. It's been wide open. How dare you blame me? There's been plenty of light. The problem lies within you. So, now let's examine that. That's the theme. That's the theme. Basically, we could say when people don't respond, the problem isn't with Christ, it's with them. The problem isn't with Christ, it's with them. Okay? And this is helpful. This is helpful for us in our evangelistic methods and even in our understanding of salvation. So, the first section. Jesus denounces the generation as evil. He calls the generation evil for a reason, because they were seeking evidence. They were seeking a sign. And already in our study in Luke, there's been several places where sign-seeking has been, uh, has been um, or testing as a result of a sign has been uh, denounced. Okay, Zechariah in the temple, um, He's uh, Gabriel's standing right there and says, you're going to have a son in your old age. And uh, this is, this is the, the kickoff to the gospel. How will I know? How will I know it's true? He wanted more evidence, more signs. He's immediately struck dumb. Don't look for a sign. In Luke chapter 4, Satan himself tests Jesus. Jump off. Jump off and show us that who you are, who you are. And he says, do not test the Lord your God. Testing God is. And seeking for evidence and sign seeking is always denounced. Please don't ever, please don't ever, even in, in our Christian world, uh, ask God for a sign. Ask God for a sign. He, the light is wide open, there, you don't need a sign you don't need a sign. I think it's I think it's a great danger even for us to say, "God, I'm debating with these two used cars. Could you just give me a sign about it?" Right? And as if God is going to like shine a light down on one. I mean, that that trivializes who God is and what he is. We don't we don't need signs like that. If we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we have the word of God, we just walk according to the word and let the spirit guide and direct. And those type of decisions are are really uh Foolish compared to the decisions of walking with Christ and pleasing Him, etc. The light has been self-evident, as if the preceding exorcism wasn't enough. To ask for further proof of signs is not just seen as absurd or unnecessary, it's seen as evil. You see that in the passage? It's seen as evil. It's not like, oh guys, come on, I just did something. That's, that's nonsense. No, he says it's evil, it's wrong. And again, as I mentioned already, it, it refers to someone who is stubborn and rebellious. That is why they're not receiving it. They're stubborn and rebellious. So Jesus continues in this passage and says, uh, there will be no further signs given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. I spent three days in Bible class this week at school with a real quick, just some Bible study tips. And so I sent the kids home on Thursday with an assignment to take a chapter and just ask the Bible questions. We, you don't need another book. You don't need commentary. Just, it's you and the Bible on a deserted island. Just read this and then just start asking it questions. It's a great way to study the Bible. So when we say no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah, and you were just reading this by yourself, what would be the question that would pop in your mind? What's the sign of Jonah? What is that? Okay, so they're going to get a sign. Well, what is the sign of Jonah? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Now, I'm going I'm to show you something, but then I'm, I'm going to argue the other side of it, I think. Matthew 12, verse 40. It's a similar passage. So we got to figure out what this sign is because they're going to get this sign, and, and this will help us to understand more of the teaching of light and the lack of response. Verse uh, verse number um, 38. Wow, there's that number. You can see it. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Very similar. There's a few changes, and I think Luke is, is emphasizing something different. He answered them and said, uh, verse 39, An evil and adds adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then the continuing is, is very similar to what we read in the other passage. But, but the thing that's missing in Luke's account of the story is what? The reference to what? Reference to the resurrection, okay? Just as an aside this is this is not even part of the message but just as an aside jesus's statement here demonstrates that he believed that jonah was swallowed by a fish you know how people scoff at these type of stories but jesus believed that jonah was called to preach to pagans in nineveh and as you know tried to run away went and found a ship headed the other direction when he got on that ship the lord created a storm the men threw him overboard think of that where he was swallowed by the great fish. After three days in the belly of that fish, he was vomited up onto the ground and then went and preached judgment to the people and they repented. According to Matthew, Matthew is stating that Jesus's that, that the sign of Jonah is the resurrection. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, so also will Jesus be in the ground for three days and rise again. And so we should immediately then say, well, obviously the sign of Jonah is the resurrection of Christ, and that is the sign that the, that the generation is going to see. And I, I want to just hold for just a second. I want to just hold for just a second. If that, if that is the point, then why didn't Luke say that? Okay, why did Luke leave it out? Why do we have four Gospels? They're written to different groups of people. Is Luke perhaps emphasizing something else? Let's, let's actually read the scripture back in Luke now and see what it says. Again, he, he eliminated the part of the resurrection. Maybe we, we could maybe say, well, I'm sure they all just got it. and Maybe. But God inspired his word with no errors, no mistakes, no oopses, and so here he left it out. No, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah, 30. As Jonah, be, as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, that's all it says, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And it is mentioned as a future sign. The Son of Man will be. So that leads us to believe that it could possibly as well be the resurrection. And I agree that's probably part of it. Okay? But I think there could be more. My conclusion in reading and studying is that the sign really is multifaceted. I think it includes a couple of things. I think, there's, I think we can tie in more, in other words, than just the resurrection. Okay? But I, I do think that is, that is at the heart of it. First of all, I'm going I'm to say three things that I, that I think, and then I'm going to connect you to another verse in Luke that tells you why I feel that. First of all, I think part of the sign is simply the preaching. The preaching is the sign. Part of it. Again, I'm saying it's multifaceted. The preaching of judgment, the preaching of repentance is part of the sign. And just as Jonah preached judgment and repentance, so will Christ. In fact, in this very section, look at the judgment that is mentioned. The queen of Sheba will rise up and condemn you. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment and condemn you. There's there's judgment mentioned here. And then another part of the sign is... The divine rescue of God when repentance is exercised, just like the Ninevites responded to Jonah's preaching. Some will respond to the preaching and they will repent and be rescued and all of this verified by the ultimate sign, the resurrection of Christ. Yet even when Jesus emerges from the tomb, they still do not believe. Even that sign of light is ignored. Now, if you want to, you can look to Luke 24, and I'll explain why I take that position of it being preaching, rescue, and resurrection being the sign. I think it's more than just the resurrection, although that is, of course, at the heart of it. Luke 24, verse 46 and 47, the concluding verses of Luke's gospel, as Jesus is on the, uh, Jesus is speaking uh, to these disciples on the road to Emmaus uh, opening their minds, verse 45, to understand the scripture and said this, it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. It's like all, all three of the things I just mentioned there are there. The preaching or the proclamation of this Judgment then repentance and divine rescue that's forgiveness that is mentioned there in verse 47 and all of this based and predicated on the fact that Christ conquered death and rose from the grave. That would be a sign that this generation would see you know what this generation would have they would have the very preaching of the son of God. Jesus came according to Matthew and Mark's gospel preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and if you repent forgiveness will be granted and if you don't judgment and condemnation will come and all of this verified by the resurrection and there's all this light there's all this light There's there's the greatest preacher of the gospel in their midst. There's the God-man proclaiming his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, and they still ignore it. We just need to see a little bit more. The preaching of Christ for repentance and the resurrection of the dead is the sign of Jonah. Don't you think that would be enough light but the problem isn't lack of light, it's lack of what? Sight. And even in the judgment, the people of Nineveh will condemn this generation. Can you imagine that scene? Think about this. This is what Jesus said. you got the people of Nineveh, and they're, they're where in, eternal, in, in eternity, uh, eternity? Where are they? The people of Nineveh at the preaching of Jonah. Where, they repented, they're going to go to heaven. Think of the ones who repented, that's what I'm thinking of, and that's who Jesus is thinking of. The people of Nineveh who did repent at Jonah's preaching will be in eternity in that day and they'll look at this generation, right? And they'll stand in condemnation of them. What will they say? What will they say? Just in your own words, what might they say? How could you miss it, right? Yeah, how could you not believe? All we had was Jonah. He didn't even want to come. You see what Jesus says? Someone or something greater than Jonah is here. That's why these people are going to be like, skulls! You had the Lord. You had the light. We had an unwilling, disobedient prophet, and we believed his words. You had the Lord. Not enough light? We condemn you in the day of judgment. The other illustration, just quickly, given regarding the need for light, is the queen of Sheba, whose story is recorded in 1 Kings 10. Maybe read it later for your own enjoyment. She came... From what is now Yemen in the Middle East to test Solomon, to discern whether or not God was truly with him. She came to investigate and seek truth, and when she came, she believed. It's most likely that she as well came to be a believer in God at this moment. She recognized he was legitimately set up by God and deferred to his wisdom. And Jesus says, looking at it in the passage, that she will also rise up in judgment on that day. Verse 31, the queen of the south, also the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn those men. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So here are the two examples that Jesus is giving to these people who don't have enough light. They say they don't. They of course do, but they say they don't. They, the people in Nineveh responded to Jonah. The queen of Sheba came from Yemen to respond to Solomon. Am I not greater than Jonah? Am I not greater than Solomon? The easy answer is, of course I am. And they're going to condemn you for your disbelief. And you know what else is at the heart of that? And what would make these people even more mad? These people who are standing there saying, we're going to be condemned by the Ninevites and by the Yemen queen? What would they say? They say, these people aren't even Jewish people. They're Gentiles. They're outsiders. They're they're dogs. Just like we heard about in, in Sunday school this morning, the bringing together of the of the Gentile church and the and Gentiles and Jew to form the church, and, and they would say, "Who are you talking about?" And it would only harden and darken their minds more. Jesus says, "These these Ninevites, these pagans, are going to condemn you for your lack of belief because you demanded more light." Question. How are these people missing this then? And it was just mentioned by Dave. That that that, to me, that's the exact words I thought of when it says they will rise up in the condemnation and the judgment and condemn you. They're gonna say, How did you miss it? It's like this. It's just like this, remember? How can you miss it? It's right there, it's right there. You had the Lord. And the title of the message is how they missed it. They were blinded to the light. Now the phrase usually is what? Blinded by the light. can't help but be blinded by the light. We Christians should be blinded by the light. So overwhelmed with the glory and majesty of God. They were blinded to it. They could not understand it. Perhaps the point is this. Our response is related to our perception. Look at verse 34. Our response is is related to our perception your eye is the lamp of your body now jesus wasn't jesus created the eye he didn't he didn't misspeak here but there was an ancient thought that the eye actually set forth light but jesus means that the eye is the way light is perceived the eye is the way light enters the body we think of lamp as something that uh that uh sends forth light but the phrase your eye is the lamp of your body indicates the eye is the seat of perception the eye is the way things are understood why would we help a blind person across an intersection because they could not perceive the traffic they could not perceive the traffic because they can't see it they can't respond to something they can't perceive and if the eye is evil Verse 34, if the eye is bad, it will not perceive the light. See what Jesus is saying again? The problem isn't with the light. The problem is that you can't perceive it because something is wrong with your sight. The eye is frequently referred to in in the ancient world as the center of one's being. And even certain phrases that we have in English still lead to that. Uh, I had my eye on that. Right I mean I had a desire for that I had a I had my eye on that uh new car or I'm doing something with an eye to whatever right it's like purposeful it, it it come it can mean the intentions of our heart so what Jesus is really saying is when our being, our intentions, our motives, our heart, our eye is evil it cannot perceive the light right it it, it the spiritual blindness of our evil hearts is the problem, and so we are not able to recognize the light. Jesus again says, saying, my teaching is given so openly, and it is the evil heart that is unable to receive it. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's evil or bad, your body is full of darkness. The way to perceive light is for Christ to expose himself to our sinful selves and remove those blinders for us. The point that Jesus is making, again, is it's not my problem, it's your problem. Response is related to perception, and then perception is related to our fate. Because what we are perceiving, if we're perceiving the light, our whole body will be full of light, wisdom, illumination, truth. Purity, guidance. But when our eye is evil, our whole body will be filled with darkness, sin, uh, impurity, uh, ignorance spiritually, etc. And so he ends with a warning, and we're just about done. Thank you for listening. His warning in verse number uh, 35 is be careful. Be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. What Jesus is sensing here, Jesus is sensing the shift. He's sensing the hostility, and he sees many people moving towards rejection. And he's saying, you know, you may, uh, you may think you have light, but it really is darkness. You may think you have the answers, but you are really ignorant. So be, he says, be careful. It's almost like if I was to say in his in, in our vernacular today, it's almost like he's saying to these people who are asking for light, you know, do you want to take a second look and re-examine this? Because you might just be missing it. You might, you know, they called him darkness. They said his actions were the deeds of the devil. You know, do you, you, you want to re-glance at this and see it for what it really is? Because there are dangerous and devastating consequences. Make sure you have the light. Negative. And then positively, he says, when you do, you're, you will be wholly bright you will be filled with knowledge receiving instruction guided by the teaching of Christ led by his spirit anchored in his truth and all of that happens when we see him for who he is can i show you one more verse before we're done john chapter 12 verse 35 john chapter 12 and we'll close with this we will not be coming back to the gospel of luke luke 12 This is so helpful. Please look at verse number 34. I'm going to just read it basically without comment because I think it illuminates the passage we were looking at. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Jesus said to him, The light is among you for a little while longer. Who's the light? Just answer. Who's the light? Himself, yeah. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Remember I said the urgent need of Luke 11 was in the face of hostility, responding to Christ rightly? One day the light, meaning the opportunity to respond to the gospel, will be gone. Now there's a twofold application for us. Maybe there's somebody in here who's never responded to the gospel and needs to. Or maybe we need to be better light to the world, reflecting, of course, the light that Christ has granted to us. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Father, we are so grateful for you removing the blinders of our sin that we might see the glorious light of the gospel of Christ. We know that the problem.